Welcome to Europarama, a podcast series about science fiction and the future of Europe. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Are We Europe, the podcasting family and magazine which collectively asks the question what it means to be European. My name is Giuseppe Porcaro and I am the author of Discos Hour, a novel about Europe and democracy in the age of algorithms. This is a special episode of the podcast in the occasion of the kickoff of the Science Fiction Economic Lab that will happen on the next 11 and 12 November in Brussels. The lab is going to have a lot in common with Europarama as it is going to explore the relationship between science fiction and our economic imagination. And I'm very happy to be here today to discuss this initiative with Alberto Cotica and Nadia E.N. from Edge Riders. Uh, Nadia, hi, how are you? Hello, I'm well, thank you. Alberto, uh, nice to have you here. Uh, very great, very good to be here. I'm a big fan of Disco Sour, as you know. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Nadia and Alberto are the founders of Edge Riders and the mastermind behind the Science Fiction Economic Lab. And um, Nadia, what, uh, what are the Edge Riders? It's difficult to describe. I mean, I'm one of the founders and I couldn't give you a simple explanation, but a poor explanation is... There's an online platform. Um, it lives on its own. It's open source code. A lot of people in different countries use it to share their experiences with each other. These experiences tend to be related to tackling some kind of social, ecological, economic or political problems. Sometimes it's at the level of Um, improving something in their immediate community. Sometimes you're, you know, in the domain of climate science, you're really looking at things from uh, a distance and, and more in an, an academic lab. Um, so this information that is exchanged with consent is then analyzed using open source software to help participants see what our conversations are saying. It could be about a specific issue. It could be a question. And the point there is to look at what our collective intelligence is saying about the state of the world mm -hmm. and what could be viable paths forward. Great, so basically some sort of uh, collective intelligence uh, put together for the sake of a better word? Can we say something like that? I mean, m my metaphor is seeing with eyes that are bigger than your own and understanding with many, many minds. Wow, that's really nice. Poetic, I would say. And uh, Alberto, uh, it's uh, uh, you are an avid science fiction reader and... Uh, And I was pretty excited when I learned that you convinced Cory Doctorow to cross the pond and come to Brussels for this initiative. How did you manage to convince him? Uh, I like to think that there is this kind of dance that, that Cory and I are, have been doing in the past, let's say, five years, because I got the snack of um, reading his books and say, hey, this guy seems to know economics. And so I published posts on my blog that were economic analysis of his stuff. So I started with Makers, which is a 2009 uh, book, and uh, I, I, I could not help but reading it and say, hey, 
this is Bertrand competition right there. This is Schumpeter's creative destruction. And so I published, I started to publish these posts. And last year I did the same thing again with Walk Away. And by then, Corey himself was saying this book is a meditation on on the cause theorem, on, on the cause causes coordination problem. So he's really thinking like an economist and he, he read these posts and kind of boosted them, kind of approved the economic analysis that I was doing. So I, I like to think that when we got in touch and say, well, let's make this formal, let's make an economics lab. This is, this, is, this is amazing. And w what I was like, uh, I'm kind of jealous actually that you managed to get Corey because we tried to, uh, fun fact, we tried to uh, uh, record um, podcast together with Corey. He, he, he was available, he's like, he was excited also about the Europarama uh, idea. We did a very interesting discussion and he even created a story for, for, for the podcast while on the go, while speaking and so on. But the sound quality was so awful that basically we couldn't use it. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy that, that you get him, uh, flesh and bones has to say and to discuss with the crowd here in Brussels. And I, I would like actually to give, uh, uh, like, uh, The, the floor, so-called the floor, to, to Corey himself to uh, uh, somehow set a little bit the tone of the questions that, that you would like to, to discuss at the Economic Lab. What it means to imagine not just a few tweaks here and there to the system, but a radically transformed economy, one oriented around a sustainable future, one that's pluralistic, one where we can all thrive one where we can avert the looming terror of the climate catastrophe and maybe snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Maybe imagine a future in which we can organize our economy not just around kind of lifeboat rules where we scrimp and make do with what little remains after our incredibly foolish neglect of this entirely visible entirely foreseeable, entirely preventable crisis, but a joyous future. A joyous future. Nadia, uh, what is your uh, take on, on those questions and how do you think uh, the Economic Lab is going to tackle not, not the answers, but more like how, how you think that... Uh, within the frame of uh, the philosophy of the edge riders uh, this could be like an appropriate setting in order to to start a conversation around these issues i think there are two parallel tracks or rather two different levels at which sense making is happening so the one level is where you're looking at the theoretical academic premises that shapes how we think about the future and see how you can either depart from that or augment that in terms of, you know, how, how are you going to <laughs> reconcile this with these imagined futures, alternative futures? What would it require, what would it require you to break in the thinking or in the premises or methodology. So that's the cerebral exercise, I think. Then, you know, when we talk about joy, <laughs> in many senses, it's an aesthetic, it's an aesthetic conversation. It's a sensory conversation. And, you know, when we talk about desirable futures, 
you know, desires can also be engineered, right? They can be created. And I would like to think that, well, this is one of the reasons I um, went into tech. I'm, I'm an engineer. Um, was the idea of can we use new means to change who we are, what we desire, you know, just what is it that is fundamentally human and just intrinsic to our nature? And what can we change about ourselves, right? Because this is one of the things that separates humans from the rest of the animal kingdom. Or the machines. Or machines, for now. For now, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that was uh, a provocation. So there are, you know, there are th three foundations to what we think of as the self. So there's the physical self, like the boundaries of the body, right? There's the relationship, relational self, who we are as defined by others, our relationships to others. And then there's the reflectional self, being able to look at yourself, look at your, think about your thinking, right? Right. And so a conversation about these imaginary futures or possible futures needs to also explore things at that level. And I find science fiction, you know, the artistic work, the, the imagine, imaginary work, I think this, that, that's one of, that's, that's in a way what gives this combination um, so much potential for, for affecting change or sparking something. Yeah. Um when speaking about science fiction, um, I also strongly believe that uh, there is a combination uh, there and the fact that uh, you can use the effect of uh, uh, the aesthetic effect, it's, uh, it's very powerful as, as you point out. On the other hand, there is also the effect of the estrangement, meaning that uh, it's one of the few um, media where people can place themselves outside reality or outside the actual reality that we're living now and make uh, possible new words uh, uh, li living, like coherent and, and, and possible in terms of uh, thinking. And, and Alberto, on this note, I would, I would specifically uh, uh, would like to, to ask your, your, uh, your take because um, it's very much part of, uh, of what you were saying. I mean, like you've been analyzing, uh, a, from the economic point of view, the science fiction work of Corey, uh, and in general, uh, your, your, uh, your take in terms of how you can apply economic analysis to science fiction. Uh, that's somehow super fascinating because, uh, on my hand, I've been doing a little bit the other way around. Uh, you know, uh, while writing science fiction, I've been using, uh, science or uh, economics or political uh, theory in order to create possible worlds but how we can also get back from the you know like it's like a journey from from the reality to the science fiction world building and then from the world building in the science fiction to political activism well i i think that cory has a good idea here and his idea seems to be this so science fiction will give you the lived experience of what it would feel like to live in a different economy, in a completely different economy. That, that will, will create a kind of, uh, he says, architect's rendering. No, it's, it's just a model, but it feels live. It feels realistic. And in, in the Adridas community and, and elsewhere, I see so much longing 
for a different world. And we are constantly being, to being told, ah, that's never going to happen. That's not realistic. Adults in the room are going to vet of that. You know, it doesn't have a business model. It doesn't have serious economics underpinning. And then we look at the world of walkaway and, and I'm saying, why not? This is just not true. You need to hack, of course, your value theory. You need to hack your industrial economics. You need to hack your your uh, underpinning, uh, even your legal system. As you as we know, Corey is a big opponent of copyright, and the reason why he's a big opponent of copyright is again an economic reason. Copyright is artificial scarcity. Artificial scarcity is inefficient. Is in simply inefficient. Is an inefficiency that we impose upon ourselves, so that we can monetize creation. Yeah, this is a big debate about uh, post-scarcity society and the role of, uh, you know, from, from the future work to uh, what will happen if we're going to have extreme supply and what happens with extreme supply? Are we going to continue to create scarcity just for the sake of, uh, of, uh, of keeping this in the system as a way for, for, you know, continuing the system as we know it or if uh, we are open to, to a totally different uh, perspective, uh, you know. And somehow those kind of talks, they are a little bit departing from what has been quite in fashion so far, which is a gloomy uh, discourse around the future, which is only uh, portraying dystopia, you know. And, and that's something that I kind of really like about your project and, you know, like uh, somehow it's a utopian uh, uh, kind of uh, project uh, uh, in, in terms of uh, let's sit down, let's use science fiction, let's discuss what we can get out of it for, uh, you know, uh, a future that could work for, for the best uh, rather than for the worst. Um, on these, uh, I would like to um, uh, get a little bit into what actually uh, you expect from the Economic Lab in practice and also a little bit more about the initiative uh, that, uh, that is going to happen pretty soon. You know, one of, the, one of the starting points is inviting people who are building, who are mobilizing, who are creating, and that in itself embodies a certain optimism. Right? Yeah. A, a, a creative act is a leap of faith somehow. So um, we have, we're going to be running a workshop in collaboration with um, organizers from uh, Extinction Rebellion. And, you know, this is, it's, it's kind of like a festival. It's a, it's a negation of, of, you know, mass extinction, which is already for me super, super optimistic, super creative. Um, And then there is going to be uh, a discussion on the basis of work that has been done. Again, creative work. But I think what underpins all of this is a culture that we have built in Edge Riders, which is everything, everywhere at the same time. And you're just looking at things with eyes wide open everybody's experiments are valid and looking at, okay, what does this tell us about the future? What can we see? The assumption is we're all living in the future already. All these people live in the future. You know, the rich now is the future. So. Yeah. Um, 
These thoughts actually remind me something that Corey was saying in, in your video about hope, the concept of hope, that which uh, I think permeates exactly the philosophy of what you're saying. And uh, it's something that uh, I've been al always coming back as well in Europa Rama. I mean, reminding the fact that hope is uh, somehow the source of utopia and utopia is a methodology in order to get somewhere rather than the hand goal. Um, on, on this, maybe we can, we can hear what, what Corey has been saying about hope because uh, it, it, it's very relevant for this uh, conversation. Hope, after all, is not the belief that things will automatically come out all right. That's just optimism. It's a kind of fatalism. It's the belief that things get better and so we can just sit down, stand down and things will get better no matter what. Hope is the belief that if we can take one small step that materially improves our circumstances, that we'll gain a new vantage point, and from there we'll be able to see the next step we can take. Alberto. Yes, and this is Brussels. Let's not forget about that. So you have the, the community that Nadia was talking about, which is already prototyping a lot of parts of what Nadia calls the future and what you find in, 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 in doctors walk away. People are living off grid. People are doing co-working, co-living, open source, everything. They are making their own uh, glu glucose level monitors uh, because they don't want to wait for the private sector or the public sector to provide it, et cetera, et cetera. So all this stuff is already happening and we are part, some of the people that are making it happen. But then there is the powers that be. And this is where the lab, I think, inserts itself. Uh, we are trying to push for some of the institutions and, and powerful actors of Europe to think walk away, to think utopian, to think we really are out of time. Really. Now, this is not, not rhetoric over. And I have seen one institution that in part behaves like that, only one. But if we can make this happen, then the, the people in the lab will have a lot of work and uh, the, the, it will be a little bit of a theoretical work that is underpinning the practical work that is already being done. And this is, in my opinion, where from where I'm standing is already utopia because the utopia that Corey describes and that we have been talking about is not a nice state where we go. It is the act of going there. You know, work needs doing and we can help. And that's happiness for you, if you're human. Absolutely. And as you say, this is not an isolated exercise. It's not a science fiction writer who is basically sitting on his uh, studio and is uh, doing the script for the next HBO or Netflix series. This is an act of uh, activism, is an act of uh, citizenship, which is, uh, and that's where the power of storytelling comes together with this. And it's something that is... Uh, beautiful in, in the aesthetic terms that, that you were saying, because it's something that uh, uh, it cannot be predictable, but it can happen only if uh, the people get together uh, and, and, and trying to, to, you know, to trying to push themselves as well on this kind of thinking. You know, I, um, I hail, my, my background is uh, to a large part, to a large extent African, right? I'm, and <laughs> I'm looking, I'm looking at a lot of the conversations that are happening and this like doom and gloom and I, 
It's so strange to me. I mean, this is the world's richest continent. <laughs> like, really? How Why? bad can it be? No, it's, n it's not just how bad can it be. It's, you know, the means are there. It's really not that, uh, you know, it's really not that hard. It's complicated, but it's not hard. It's just fairly straightforward. We have the money. We have the brains. What's the problem? We can do it. Yeah, basically. of course. So on this note, uh, basically, and again for our listeners, because this is not a conversation just among us and among Corey and so on, but uh, we want our listeners to be involved and we want them to come to the Economic Lab. Um, can we recap a very practical all the forms that they can be involved in this project from the event to the wider uh, frame that you're trying to build up so that uh, we can all have a critical mass of people involved in this, uh, in this operation. Sure. Okay, so the Science Fiction Economics Lab happens in Brussels on the 11th and 12th of November. On the 11th, we do three things. We do first, in the early afternoon, a... A workshop called Reclaiming Utopia, given by activists in Extinction Rebellion London. And that's a workshop where you will learn to mobilize yourself as a climate activist and as an utopian builder, let's say. Then later on, around six at Le Riche Claire, we will have a double keynote uh, featuring Cory Doctor, so a, a noted science fiction author, and Tom Bowler, so a noted economist and chaired by Kirsten Dunlop, who is the uh, CEO of Climate Kick. Uh, Climate Kick is the uh, largest uh, uh, funder for climate innovation in Europe. And there will be other people, including Giuseppe, here our host, that will also uh, give a uh, contribution to that debate. Later still, we'll go to La Tricoterie for a party, like just bring your musical instruments and your sweet self and let's dance. And on the 12th at ULB, we will do a, uh, a sort of more academic uh, brainstorming session. And the purpose of that is to start fleshing out the abstract of economics papers to be published in 2020 around fictional economies. How can we underpin uh, the, 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 the kind of society that we want to build, starting from the that and not starting from the uh, you know, marginalist economics and trying to tweak it here and there. Amazing. So we all are going to be there on the 11th and the 12th. And not only this, but uh, we are offering as Europarama uh, a free ticket to the keynotes, to the this double keynotes on the 11th at uh, 6 p.m. at the Richclair to the first four people that share this episode of Europarama from the Europarama Facebook page around. So uh, I look forward a lot of shares, but the four people that we share will get free tickets. Uh, looking forward to seeing lots of you uh, over there at the, uh, the Shifi Economic Lab. And uh, thank you very much, Alberto. Thank you very much, Nadia. Uh, and thank you uh, all to our listeners for listening Europarama. Uh, you can check out more episodes and the other shows of the Are We Europe podcasting family as well as more detailed information and links in the show notes. Looking forward to it. Until next time, bye-bye.